1: Welcome back. I'm Tom Loy, and today we're going to talk about the unspoken rules in the workplace that, if ignored, could cost you thousands of dollars, frustrate your advancement, frustrate your search for financial independence, and deter your path to happiness. Our guest mentor today is Gort Ng, who is a newbie, gained some hard-earned insights on how to navigate the world of work and has written about this in his best-selling The Unspoken Rules. Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. Today, Gork serves as a career advisor at Harvard and has been named one of Time Magazine's Top 25 Future Leaders. And he's been featured in numerous media, including the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, and the New York Times. Gork, welcome to The Mentors. So let's get started real quick. Tell us what you actually do at uh, Harvard as a career counselor.
2: First of all, thanks so much, Tom, for having me here today. It's uh, a thrill to be with you. In terms of my job at Harvard, I'm a career advisor, which involves me coaching students through their careers, obviously, their academics, and through life. So I work with around 450 students, navigate their concentration choices, so their major choices, their navigation through the job search. There are questions around what do I do with my life and how do I navigate my early career, whether it's my internship, my extracurricular activities and my job after school.
1: And I think as when we first talked, you also do some things to help them when the students are looking for work in terms of uh, going through the hiring process. Is that correct? I think you started I think you wrote a book or something about that, too, right?
2: (laughs) So uh, I, I do help students both get the job and succeed once they're in the job. I know we often think as a society, as those two topics being very different from each other, I see them as two sides of the same coin. You need to get the job and then you need to succeed once you're there. Otherwise what's the point of spending all that time, securing an opportunity that you won't end up succeeding in.
1: Well, I think I mentioned to you, I've been in charge of running a ministry for people that have lost their jobs for over 20 years. We've helped 6,000 people out here in Northern California over those 20 years. And as we move into the June, July timeframe, we usually pick up some of the recent graduates in our program. And the one thing I've heard over and over again is, boy, I wish we had something like this back at the University of whatever. So it sounds like Harvard, again, is ahead of the pack uh, with people like you doing what uh, they're doing to get people uh, on the right path going forward. So that that's really great. So how long have you been doing this?
2: Yeah, so it's about my sixth year at the moment. And that role actually has expanded informally, that is, where my primary audience and constituency are Harvard undergrads. But over the course of getting to know these students and staying in touch with them, I've started coaching students beyond Harvard. So actually, uh, a number of PhD students at MIT are, are in my regular list of folks that I stay in touch with and advise. But uh, six years, and the role is, is always different and, and always exciting.
1: And what's the big takeaway that you've learned about the work you've been doing with the students, whether that's uh, PhD students or the younger students? What's your big learning? <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the unspoken rules, but for you personally, what's been, what, is it, what have you gotten out of this?
2: You know, I, I would say, and it's frankly not just a student question, but it's a life question. It's one of, what do I do with my life? And it's a question that students struggle with when they come into college, when they're navigating college, when they're in their internships, when they're in their early careers, when they're in graduate school, when they're past graduate school, when they're well into their careers. It's a question that we're always asking ourselves. What do I do when I grow up? Who do I want to be? What change do I want to contribute to the world? It's really those questions. I mean, I would engage with students on surface level questions at the start. So a student might come to me asking for cover letter or resume advice. And I'd like to think that we we address that up front. But poke a little further and you get into these existential questions, these philosophical questions that have no right answer, but that we're all asking ourselves day in, day out.
1: And I was impressed with your book because uh, it resonated due to the work that I've done with people in transition and the unspoken rules are unspoken rules that people further along in their career should go back and read about. I think because we get the people, you know, they could be in their thirties, forties, and fifties, and uh, that many of them have forgotten about the rules. Maybe they never knew what the rules would or were, or. Or even better yet, and I know people like this, they resisted the rules. They're just not going to follow the rules. They are going to do their own thing. And that there are some people that can succeed that way, but most don't. So what, um, what brought you to writing the book?
2: Yeah, I would say it's a, a motivation that came from both the head and the heart, where from the heart, I was a first-generation, low-income college student. So I was the first in my family to pursue a higher education. I'm the the proud son of a working-class single mother. And over the course of navigating Harvard as an undergraduate and then my early career, what I realized was that there's this informal education that some of us get over the dinner table from older siblings, from aunts and uncles, from parents who've been in our shoes before. And these are, to your point, these unspoken rules that aren't taught in school and that aren't often talked about in the workplace either. And it was these unspoken rules that often determined whether someone would get in and get ahead and whether someone would struggle through it all through trial and error i was hap- i happened to be the type of person who who ended up struggling through a lot of my early career through through trial and error and then when it came to the to the head i started thinking well this is true not just at the most well-resourced organizations i started my career off in management consulting but if you're joining a startup if you're joining the public sector if you're joining a fast-growing startup There's often no time to onboard you, to train you, to develop you. There's often this perspective within management that you either get it or you don't, or that this is either common sense and you either know it or you're just a low performer. And so what I started thinking about was, wait a second, it seems like, and as I started interviewing more people, I ended up interviewing over 500 professionals across geographies, industries, and job types. My big takeaway is it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter where you work, there is an archetype of what it takes to be a high performer at work. It's someone who's proactive, someone who takes ownership, someone who manages up well. There's no guidebook on how to do these things. And so I thought, well, what if I could deconstruct what this looks like and sounds like and democratize it to the world? That's where the book came about.
1: What? Tell me very quickly, the importance of the first boss.
2: <laughs> Tremendously important. The first boss isn't just your boss, they're a mentor, they're a door opener, they're an advocate. And so when students are picking between firms and organizations, it's a two-way street in terms of, yes, you want to impress your interviewer, but you are your interviewer, your hiring manager also has to impress you. Do you look up to them? Do you feel like they're the type of person that you'd like to, to work under, to learn from? Are they the type of person that you like to become? Tremendously important.
1: We're gonna come right back uh, and talk to our guests, continue our discussion with our guest mentor, Greg Ng, best-selling author of The Unspoken Rules, Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. You can go to our website, thementorsradio.com and click on past shows to find many of our great past guests. This is Tom and You're
3: listening to The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I wanna tell you about something special. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more.
4: Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach helping business owners increase productivity profits and improve personal life I'm the founder of balance six money health relationship time management self-improvement and higher power I coach business owners to work smarter not longer to have time for better personal life I hold you accountable for making time available to balance six to nurture yourself and your relationships and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago, but I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz.
0: And now, Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie and I'm with Harvard Student Advisor, Gord Ng, and we're exploring the unspoken rules in the workplace that, if ignored, could cost you thousands of dollars, frustrate your advancement, your search for financial independence and happiness. Remember, you can also listen to this show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more. On any device at any time. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. So, as I look at, you got a lot packed in that book, by the way. It's uh, and they make a great gift for people that have children who are just getting started, uh, for young adults, uh, for people that are going through transition. So, three things that popped out right in the beginning was the shaping of other, the importance of shaping another's perception getting the job done, and getting along with everyone. And we're going to kind of go through some of those elements uh, for our, 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 our audience. So let's start with the uh, shaping, the, the importance of shaping perceptions.
2: We often hear that your first impression matters a lot. Well, it does. Without any additional data points, your first impression is your only impression. And so small things like how you show up in email, whether you show up to meetings on time, whether there's grammatical errors in your correspondence, whether you're introducing yourself in accordance with some of these unspoken rules, that all shapes others' perceptions of what I call the three Cs, which stand for competence, commitment, and compatibility. And the idea is the minute you show up as a professional, whether it's in a coffee chat, in an email, in a cover letter, in a resume in a client meeting is the instant that others start sizing you up and they'll start asking themselves three questions. Question one is, can you do this job well? Which is the question of, are you competent? Question two is, are you excited to be here? Which is the question of, are you committed? And question three is, do we get along? Which is the question of, are we compatible? In your job, frankly, all of our jobs, and this includes the CEO of your organization, it's to convince the people around you to say yes to all three questions all the time. And the challenge here is that perceptions don't always equal reality where you may be competent in your job, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee that others will perceive you as competent. You might be committed to this role, but the certain way in which you conduct yourself in these meetings and these emails and these one on ones may or may not reinforce the idea that you are really, in fact, committed.
1: So Let's talk a little bit about when you're talking about the uh, excited to be here. (laughs) Uh, I'm constantly, particularly with young people. When I call them on the phone and you hear this, hi, I'm Joe. What is up? And I get on, I says, you know, Joe, you really do yourself a disservice just how you answer the phone. Maybe you could talk a little bit about some of those things that we look for that are important as we do develop a perception about other people.
3: I mean, Sounds it's one great,
1: thing, yeah. yeah, you got a lot of stuff in here. So let's talk about what should they do?
2: Yeah, well, I, first of all, I appreciate that that there is a lot packed into this book. I, I didn't want this to be a book that could have been a blog post. So I really tried to cram in as much material as I can on every page and every paragraph to cover everything from before your first day in a new role, all the way through to a promotion, even if you're in an organization that doesn't have a, a set promotion cycle for you when it comes to that excitement there's how things are and how things ought to be and and I'll touch upon both uh, in turn when it comes to how things are to your point little things matter when it comes to how much you vary your tone of voice how much you perhaps lean forward in a meeting whether you're taking notes in that meeting whether you're showing up on time whether you're contributing whether you're Asking smart questions and there's a a whole chapter on how to ask good questions at work. All of these will contribute to others' perceptions of, of your commitment. And in the case of this phone call that you refer to in an ideal world, you're showing up and you're sounding excited. Well, what does that, what does that mean? You're sounding, and, and this is where things get really difficult and why these are unspoken rules where there, there are. Areas where you want to be professional without looking uptight, You want to be at ease without coming across as immature. You want to sound excited without sounding like you're too much of a go-getter. And so there are all of these invisible gutters, if you will, if you're imagining this almost as a, a bowling alley that define whether someone perceives you as, as committed in a conversation. And this is how things are in terms of how things ought to be. There are unconscious biases. There's discrimination. These all exist in the workplace. And so your ability to come across as committed are going to be a function of so many things that may or may not be in your control, whether it's sex, sexual orientation, gender, race, your vocal pitch, your degree of introversion and extroversion, your language proficiency. And so it's not a level playing field in terms of your ability to come across as committed, but there are little things that are within your
1: control as well. This is Don Moore. You're listening to the Mentor's Radio. where We have with us Harvard Student Advisor, Gore King, one of the Time Magazine's top 25 future leaders. Uh, you touched on something that's uh, obviously topical today called bias, and I sit and think a lot about bias. And I've, uh, I can tell you, even though I'm this uh, Irish Catholic kid out of Chicago, I've seen a lot of bias, but it's not as narrow as I think some people wanna make it out to be. I can tell you that there are companies that if you didn't go to Harvard, uh, there's a bias against you. If you didn't go to Stanford out here, there's a bias, you know, I'm just saying biases are many. Uh, there's bias if you're a PhD or if you're not a PhD. So I think that becomes very important in navigating that minefield because no matter, you, we got to look at this more broadly, these just exist in life. They're, and you'll never get rid of all of them. I, I don't know. you have any thoughts on that?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, I I, I so appreciate you bringing up the fact that, that bias and discrimination can come in so many different forms. I mean, when it comes to medicine you brought this up Uh, in healthcare for example i interviewed someone who for example is pursuing a medical degree but is also working in venture capital and this individual decided to remove the venture capital experience from her linkedin profile because she was worried that residency application reviewers would see that venture capital experience and perceive her as uncommitted to the profession of medicine and so that's case in point of someone who has otherwise so many advantages working in their favor, but this one thing, this one signal, this one breadcrumb that could change her odds and whether she is perceived as committed and competent.
1: I mean, these are real world things. I I know as a CEO, which I've been doing for many years, if I were to meet you, I don't start out by saying I'm a CEO because there's a lot of bias against, there's some people that it's a plus and for many others, it's a negative being a CEO. Uh, so how you introduce yourself becomes extremely important. Um, so, so let's, let's uh, skip down here and talk a little bit about being authentic. Uh, I mean, that's part of what you're talking about is authenticity. And, um, there was a term I saw recently it's, it's, and the other thing is the, uh, and I always look at people about what is for me as a CEO, I'm always looking at the person's motives. they tell me a lot about the individual and I stay away from people that are transactional. I really like people that are mission oriented or purpose driven. Uh, They pop out. uh, I think in the world we live in, maybe you could talk a little bit about that in terms of the perception again.
2: This speaks to telling your full and authentic story in a way that still caters to others' perceptions of your competence, your commitment, and your compatibility, where one of the most common questions you will get as a professional is the question of tell me about yourself or well, what got you interested it. in this role.
1: We're going to come back to that in a second. We're going to cut it off here. We're going to come back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Gorg Ng, selling offer, the unspoken rules secrets to starting your career, right? Remember you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast on iHeartRadio or afterwards, anywhere, anytime, uh, on... Uh, podcast on any podcast platform. I will be back in a few minutes. This is Tom Lawyer. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show.
5: A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For Maguire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as Maguire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years multi-award-winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at OathBook.org. That's OathBook.org, OathBook.org.
6: Here at The Mentors Radio, we've been working hard to help you succeed in every way possible. That's why we're proud to let you know about our newest find, BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com links you to a credit processing company, cornerstone payment systems that truly shares your ethical values and that can give you lower rates immediately. They don't just say it, they prove it to you. Their commitment to ethical behavior is rock solid. For example, unlike most other credit processing companies, something you may not have known before, cornerstone refuses to process any porn related business. They're not newbies either. The company we recommend has more than 50 years experience and provides 24-7 in-house support. See what they can do for you today. Go to BetterCreditDeal.com. That's BetterCreditDeal.com. BetterCreditDeal.com.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Loy. I'm with Harvard student advisor, Gork Ang, and we're exploring the unspoken rules in the workplace that if you ignore them, it could cost you thousands of dollars, frustrate your advancement, your search for financial independence and happiness. Gork, in the last segment, we're talking about tell me about yourself. Let's continue about the tell me about yourself.
2: First off, it's the most common question that you'll get in your career. And perhaps even your life, you'll show up at a cocktail party. And that's going to be the first question that'll come up. You show up at a job interview. That question's also bound to come up. You show up on your first day in a new role on a new project with a new team. You're bound to have that question as well. And your answer to this question will shape others' perceptions of how competent you are, how committed you are, and how compatible you are. And the framework that I introduce in my book, The Unspoken Rules, on how to navigate this question is a framework called The Hero's Journey, which is from Joseph Campbell, where Joseph Campbell looked at some of the most famous stories told over the course of history and found that all of them follow a certain arc in their storytelling, where there's a protagonist, and there's a spark that then sends them on an adventure. This adventure entails slaying dragons going over and under Hills and all in the sur- all in the service of pursuing some broader mission, whether it's to destroy the one ring in the case of Lord of the Rings or something else. And I find that to be a useful way of telling your own story, because when you're in a job interview, for example, or when you're in a new job and introducing yourself for the first time in a new role. Others are asking themselves, hey, do you know how to do this job? Are you excited about this job? And are we going to get along once we're coworkers? So the difference between saying, my name's is Gorick, I like soccer, and uh, I picked up this job because it was the only one I could get, which may be your authentic story, but may not be the best in terms of convincing others of your competence, commitment, and compatibility. In contrast to talking about, for example, if I were to apply for a job at a healthcare consulting firm, let's say, talking about what got me interested in healthcare. What have I done prior to arriving in this role that gets me really excited about the work that I'm about to embark upon? So The difference between saying, hey, I, my, my interest in healthcare started with this family incident, which then led me to study this in college, which then led to this job and this job where I did these things, and that's what brings me here today, because I'm really excited about the mission of this organization in all of these different ways, could be the difference between coming across as competent, committed, and compatible, and not.
1: So let's talk a little bit about compatible <laughs> uh, and resolving conflict. That's always an issue in the workplace. And uh, before we go there, I just want to remind our listeners, this is Tom Lohr, you're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Harvard Student Advisor, Gorg Ng, and we're talking about the unspoken rules that govern your workplace success. So we know that conflict, uh, and there's healthy conflict, and there's unhealthy conflict. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what some of the unspoken rules are around that.
2: Sure thing. Well, I'll, I'll I'll start by saying, I'll start by saying that compatibility used to be called fit. And in addition to this, not being as elegant a framework, if it were the two C's and an F versus the three C's, which is where it is now, I introduced the notion of compatibility in lieu of using the word culture fit, because yes, there's an unlevel playing field when it comes to whether you look like, talk like, or have the same backgrounds or interests as those around you. Certainly that can play to your advantage in terms of quote unquote culture fit. But even if you don't have these things, there are a number of tactics that you can employ to come across as compatible. And compatibility is really all about, are you able to build strong, authentic relationships with your coworkers? And so this takes several forms and here are just a few tactics. I mean, one is to just show an interest in other people in terms of asking questions about their backgrounds, showing an interest in wanting to learn and help that can boost your compatibility. Another one is to look for things that might be in common with this other person that you might be able to find just by doing a quick Google search. So did they grow up in the same hometown as you? Did they go to the same college? Did they study the same major? Did they pursue a similar educational experience? Did they have a similar role in the past? And if none of these things are in common with you, talk about the future. What are some things that you might have that are in common with this other person where, for example, maybe this person is interested in serving their community, education. Or maybe they're the only person of a certain socioeconomic background or racial or cultural identity. And here you have an opportunity to frame yourself. If you're early in your career as someone who can see the other person as a younger version, rather here's your opportunity for them to see you as a younger version of themselves and someone that they want to take under their wings. So compatibility, when it comes to, to just sparking that, that chemistry it's, it's on the other person. Yes, but it's also on you when it comes to these moments where conflicts arise, something to think about is the difference between intent and impact, where intent is what we mean. Impact is how we come across. And so I hear often that managers will try and empty their inbox late at night. Now that's positive intent potentially on their side because they're just trying to empty their inbox, but it can come across negatively because it sets the tone that you should be up at the same time as well. And in moments like that, that can arise, That can create conflict because the person being delegated the task might see their manager as being inconsiderate, as not valuing their time, as overworking them, when in reality, the manager is really just trying to make their own life easy. So in a situation like this, it's important to not necessarily judge the person by fully just their impact, but to have this conversation around, Hey, it seems like we're trying to solve for the same things. Let's have a conversation about how we can best work together.
1: So that's one of the suggestions you'd have uh, with regards to managing your boss. I mean, they you can have conflict with your boss. So that, that's a little different because there's a little power element in that one. But uh, that's a, the managing your boss is a key thing as well, isn't it?
2: A- absolutely. I mean, your, your happiness, your ability to rise in this organization, that's going to be dependent upon... Often the person who manages you, that person's going to be the person who decides whether you get that unadvertised opportunity, whether you're ready for that promotion, and how others see you when you're not in the room.
1: So you talk, I mean, you have other elements in the book about managing your boss, but that's a critical one. Uh, I think most people, at least my experience in the world of work is people do their best when they feel safe. And if uh, they're with a boss that doesn't make them feel safe, and that could be a two-way street, as you just mentioned, the shoe could be on the, uh, on the other foot, but striving to get to a safe place is really the key to getting the most productivity and realizing your potential.
2: Is that- Absolutely. And one tactic I'll, I'll suggest here, which I didn't realize is actually fairly common practice in, in the world of work, is to just simply ask around to see if you can have a conversation with someone who's worked with this individual before. So it turns out that everyone does this in the world of professional services, where if they get staffed with Steve, for example, they'll try and figure out who Steve has worked with previously, and then ask, hey, would you happen to have 15 minutes to talk about their working style? That's a good way of getting around. Hey, how is this person really like?
1: That's great. We're going to be back in a few months with our guest mentor, Gorg Ng, the best-selling author of The Unspoken Rules, Secrets to Starting Your Career Off Right. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentor's Radio Show.
7: Hey, professional business women! I know how busy your life is. To look your best, nails matter. The good news is I can save you a lot of nasty, chemical-smelling nail salon time. Just imagine, a perfect manicure in just minutes at home even while watching tv no dry time no smudges no streaks and your new manicure will last up to 10 days often longer i'm talking about 100 real nail polish yes real nail polish including top and base coat all in one that can gently be stretched for a perfect custom fit gorgeous vibrant colors soft pastels gentle glitter or can't miss designs and nail art you have options for about $12 a set. You can even get some free. Choose your colors or designs, receive them in about three days. Done. Everything you need is included. Polish easily removes and does not damage nails. Check it out nails4me.com. Nails, the number four, M E.com. That's nails4me.com.
3: Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than one million fans, one million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more.
0: And now... Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: This is Tom Warrior. We're with Mark Eng, who is a Harvard student advisor. A good one at that. As you listen to the show, you can see it'd be very good to be your student advisor. And we're exploring the unspoken rules in the workplace. Uh, One of the things you talked about in the beginning and it carries through your entire book is competence and performance and i mean we've talked about getting along with people getting along with your boss now the question is getting the job done um one of the things that's always been as i and i've run companies for years and what a lot of people don't realize and maybe thousands of people that i've managed in the course of my career it's really a very few people that stand out as being real high performers. Now, there may be many high performers in the thing, but people don't realize it's not as competitive as some people imagine. High performance is not something that you see often. It's something that you don't see often. And let's talk a little bit about that. And one thing I want you to touch on as we talk about performance is that moving outside your, area your comfort zone also there's a job description but i've learned of course, in the course of course my career is that job descriptions it's a piece of paper and it's a matter of going out and doing things that are really important to achieving the goals of the company and you sometimes have to operate outside of that i want you to talk about that and, and then the other aspect the last part the importance of being a problem solver in today's world
2: what you're referring to Tom here is the idea of taking ownership and this has emerged increasingly as I've engaged with companies of all shapes and sizes through my book. So I've been working with a number of fortune five hundreds with their onboarding programs or learning and development programs their leadership development programs, and the idea of finding and, and the idea of instilling within every team member, a sense of ownership is really what every organization wants. So what does it mean to be this person who can take ownership, this star performer? Well, you're someone who can go from executing. So following instructions blindly to strategizing, to being a part of the conversation, to contributing a point of view, you're going from asking questions, which is better than not asking questions to suggesting ideas. You're going from gathering information and then doing a big data dump to synthesizing, to rolling it up into actionable insights. You're going from following meetings and maybe neither being seen nor heard to contributing to meetings to ultimately steering meetings. You're going from ignoring problems and maybe assuming that it's someone else's job to solving problems. And if you can do these five things, go from gathering to synthesizing, for example, you're going to be a star. And really what this refers to is the ability to see the big picture and to get at the heart of what your team is really trying to do. So I'll I'll illustrate with, with an example of my own, there were all these times when my manager would come up to me and say, Hey, I need a presentation on this topic. And I would do the present. I would create the presentation in PowerPoint. I would send the email to them. And then they would give me feedback and say, Hey, I want to move this slide from page six to page four. And I want to move this text box from the left side to the right side. And I would do exactly that. And I would go back to my manager. My manager would say, no, this isn't what I asked for at all. In the back of my head, I thought, well, how could you be so inconsistent? You told me to do this. And this is exactly what I did. However, it didn't, it it didn't occur to me until several months into this project, after another manager pulled me aside, actually, that my manager wasn't just simply giving me instructions to follow, they were giving me guidance off of which I was supposed to solve the next problem for them. And so my, my manager back in the day, put it best. He said, the first time I'm thinking about this problem is when this meeting begins, the last time I'm thinking about this problem is when this meeting ends. After this, I'm off fighting other fires. I'm counting on you to see the big picture, figure out what we're trying to solve for in the first place, ask the right questions and manage me, not the other way around. So if this means that. You need to put time on my calendar. You need me to send a particular email to so-and-so that you're going to be managing me through the process. I'm not so much your manager as your overseer. You're supposed to be the one managing me. And so really this is a mindset shift that I had thanks to this particular manager and that I hope that well, I know, for example, that all of us have the capability to do, it's just that perhaps school and the conditioning that we've had over the course of our early upbringings to color within the lines kind of dulls this muscle within us to be proactive, to manage the process, to go above and beyond.
1: Yeah, you made a comment that schools, like a production line, just kind of stamp them out and put them out there. So uh, so this is Tom Lawyer, you're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Harvard student advisor, Gorick Ng, and we're talking about the unspoken rules that govern our workplace success. Um, so one of the stories that I share with people in transition, this gets into the problem solving. I mean, people write resumes and I manage this and I had 10 people and I had a man. And I tell the story of being on a plane once and many times I should say. And typically I do a lot of work and then I get my work done. And I start talking to the person next to me. And typically I draw them out and they start telling me stories. Well, I do this and, I, and they tell me their story. And I tell you, it has a big impact on me. And you start listening for those people that are really problem solvers. And then what I do just naturally is I put their name in the back of my head, put them in the file. And if something ever came along, I have them in the file saying, remember me, because I know they're problem solvers. And as I explained to people in our ministry, jobs only exist because there's a problem to be solved. They that's the only reason we have a job, is that there's something to be solved. So it's extremely important to emphasize maybe through stories when you're even at work about what you've done. And maybe you talk a little bit about the power of story.
2: Yeah, well, this, this speaks to something that we do learn in school, or at least I hope we learn in school, uh, which is show rather than tell. So when it comes to, to telling, and, and I would maybe blame the corporate world a bit for this, where there's corporate jargon that tends to be euphemistic tends to be soft, it tends to be passive voice. So if you're saying I increase revenues by X percent, you might not say it in that way. You might say it in terms of revenues, or it might be contributed to an organizational restructuring strategy. It's just a bunch of, <laughs> it's a bunch of, uh, corporate speak. What people are mostly interested in is what you did and what the results are. So what was the problem? What did you do? What was the solution? How did it make an impact?
1: So I just add one thing to the I increased sales by X percent. I love the (laughs) I created 30 percent increase in sales when the industry was collapsing by 15 percent. Now that really gets my attention. (laughs) Right. So we're going to come we're going to come back here. Uh, We're with our guest mentor, Gork Ng, best-selling author of The Unspoken Rules. We've got one more segment left. You can find our show notes and links at TheMentorsRadio.com. Sign up so you don't miss any future shows. This is Tom Lorry, and this is The Mentors Radio Show.
4: Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach, helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six. Money? health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to balance six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago. But I assure you, my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz.
5: A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, harkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath.
0: And now, back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with Harvard student advisor Gore Ping. We're exploring the unspoken rules in the workplace that, if ignored, could cost you thousands of dollars, your advancement, your search for financial independence, and happiness. So before the show, uh, Gork, you and I had a chance to talk, and there was something we touched on that I think would be very important to include in this segment. How do we do all of this in a world where we have this remote working?
2: It's tough. When it comes to perceptions not aligning with reality, well, in a remote work environment, people have even fewer data points off of which to evaluate your performance. So let me contrast... uh, the, the pre-remote world with the, the remote world that is today, where in the pre-remote world, where we're all in an office, something I tell uh, my students is, if your supervisor walks by your desk and glances at your monitor and sees that you're on social media, if they see that once, maybe they'll think, hmm, okay, they're on social media. If they see it twice, they're gonna start thinking, hmm, This is happening a second time. Is this happening all the time, even if I'm not walking by? And so these small breadcrumbs that we leave around the office end up adding up to big impressions around how competent, how committed, and how compatible we are. Now, this is just in the example where your manager may not see you frequently, but sees you enough to start coming up with these impressions. Now, when it comes to working in a remote work environment, Your manager doesn't even have the luxury at this point to be able to walk by and see how hard you're working and, and such where instead they're only going to be able to tell based on whether you're online, whether you're responding promptly, whether you're getting your work done well, and we can debate actually, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. So in a lot of knowledge work where your daily outputs are hard to determine Often people will use inputs such as how responsive you are, how hardworking it seems like you are, to gauge your competence and your commitment. Now we could argue that that's actually that's performative to an unhealthy and unproductive degree, and that this remote work environment is actually getting us closer to a more sustainable way of working. Which is, hey, well, what? So what if I'm on social media during the day? If I'm getting my job done and I'm doing a good job, isn't that all that matters? Why is it that I need to be sitting at my desk looking engaged through this nine to five? What if I'm more productive at let's say 8 PM? So we could have a debate here about whether this new way of working of being more output oriented than perhaps input oriented is a good thing. I think personally, it's a great thing because it's providing more people with greater flexibility around how work gets done and by when work gets done, but it is going to still be a transition from this old world to this new world of input oriented to output oriented
1: somebody wrote recently that it's no longer a work life balance it's work brilliance and life brilliance balance and i think that's what you're touching on
2: we're 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 getting to a point and i think we're already there where our jobs are becoming much more easily quantifiable in terms of the quality of the work and the output that you bring to the organization. And so, uh, there's, there's a book out there called BS jobs. I don't know if it's appropriate to say the full word, uh, on this show, but, um, there are a lot of these BS jobs out there that rely more on your other's perceptions of how competent and committed you are versus your outputs. And so would the world be at a better place with fewer of these jobs and more of us being more productive contributors to our teams? I'd like to think so. But uh, there are a lot of these jobs that we need to reevaluate.
1: So in all the work that you're doing and all the young people and older people that you've met, what's that one thread that you've seen through life uh, that contributes to happiness and peace?
2: It, it's to... It's to Find is to figure out really what you want. Where towards uh, the middle of the book, I talk about how it's important to come across as committed to your role. And it's important to come across as compatible to your coworkers. And yes, you can fake it to some degree and you can fake it for a short period of time. But your ability to remain happy and to wake up in the morning excited to get to work, truly excited and not just faking it, Is going to be dependent upon whether this is an organization that you're excited about, this is a team that you're thrilled to work with, and this is a team that you can get along with. So it's a, it's very much a two-way street here. We are in this interview talking a lot about coming across a certain way, but in the end, it's ultimately going to be about, are you excited about this role? Are you being prepared to succeed in this role? Are you feeling supported in this role? And are you feeling valued in this role? It's very much a two-way street. It's not just about what you can bring, it's also about what your manager and what your employer can bring to you.
1: Well, that's about it for this week. Gork, thank you very much. We're out of time. Thanks for taking the time to share the unspoken rules that govern our workplace success. We've been visiting with author and Harvard Career Concert, Goric Egg. We'll have links to his best-selling book on our website, the mentorsradio.com. It's a great gift for those just getting started and for those in career transition. When there, make sure you look at past shows with previous mentors and make sure you subscribe for future broadcasts. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of the Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness.
0: It's been the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.